0: Good morning, my name is Travis, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm going to ask you to indulge me a little bit of a church tradition, it's not a commandment, but a tradition, to remind ourselves um, that we are hearing God's word, um, I would ask that you stand while I read God's word. this is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians picking up in the fifth chapter in the 21st verse submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church his body and is himself its savior now as the church submits to Christ so also This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. A few weeks ago, um, I I went to, I had Bill and Jake in a room, I, I said, so, uh, what am I? What am I preaching at the end of January? And uh, and he says, "Well, I'm I'm leaving off here on verse 21." And uh, and Jake said, "We'll both be gone that day." <laughs> this, um, you know, there there are some things that we can say as Christians within our culture that continue. Um, to be things that resonate with just people, right? If you talk about caring for widows and orphans, if you talk about doing unto others as you would have them do unto you, there's, there's plenty of things that will resonate. And then there's places within the gospel where the truth of God's word instead of like just striking this beautiful chord just hits this, it's a, it's a jarring discordance with our culture. And for us, I, at least for me, for me, the temptation comes to do one of two things. Um, one is to desperately want people to like me, to like us, to like the church and to change or modify or, or, or soften the truth that's hard to receive and then the other temptation is to say okay I'm not going to do that but then just cast out any desire to have somebody hear it right to not speak it winsomely you know as Paul did he went into the synagogues and he pled with the Jews to receive Christ. He desperately tried to convince them of this thing that was hard for them to accept, and they rebelled against. So my prayer this morning is that we can hear God's truth just head on for what it is, and receive it, because our flesh does not always do well with God's word. and also, for those of you here who may not be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you may not be convinced that God's word is something that you would follow 100%, or, you know, and I actually have friends who would consider themselves believers who have a very difficult time with this passage, that you would simply hear the whole counsel of God. And so I'm going to start off by addressing two ideas that are current in our culture that kind of like speak against a biblical view of marriage. And the first, I'll just frame it as a question. Does biblical Christianity foster unhealthy marriages and the abuse of women? Let's just throw it on the table. Oh. And there's, there are plenty of people who say so. They say, well, you know, male headship, right? In an in a evangelical, conservative church, the men are the heads of the household. The men are also the ones who are serving as elders and pastors, officers in the church. And therefore, it just stands to reason because women are not in positions of formal authority that they would be abused, taken advantage of um, and it it makes a certain amount of sense, I guess when you say it I mean the idea we've heard it you know power corrupts absolute power corrupts absolutely it just seems like it stands to reason. I was thinking about this and it, and it occurred to me that it actually doesn't stand to my reasoning at all and I I'll just give you an illustration. Just pretend that you are on an airplane. And there's a whole bunch of children on this airplane, and the airplane crashes, and the only survivors are you and a large group of children. And you're on an island. And you don't know when help is going to come. How are you going to live? Are you thinking to yourself, I have a large group of servants. I can have them gather my food. Go out into the water and, and risk their limbs to gather food for me. I'm only gonna feed them insofar as they may wait on me. Would I mean I, I'm I'm sure there is some really twisted person out there who would do this, but probably no one in this room. What would you do? You would give your life to protect those children. That's what you would do. Every day you would pray to God, God, give me the ability to hang on so that when help comes, every one of these kids is okay. That's what you would do. A lot of unbelievers would do the same thing. So the idea that simply investing someone with authority then calls them into abuse is not a idea that actually fits but there's a there's a reality flaw too there's another flaw that 's a logical flaw there's a reality flaw and i I ran across um, years ago i was just i was doing was thinking about Christianity and marriage right because we all we all hear you know that Christians are um, just as apt to get divorces as non Christians are. The divorce rate is 50%, it's just kind of across the board. Nothing about being a Christian. And I just kept thinking about them. I thought, this is so weird. Where, are, I mean, like, I see divorces. I see divorces happen in the church, but it's nowhere near these numbers. I mean, it wasn't in the PCA church I belong to in Texas, any of the churches I belong to since, there are divorces but where is this coming from? So I kind of, I did a deep dive on the internet, went deeper, 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 and finally I came across a sociologist who said, this is inaccurate because they're not controlling for people who do not attend church. That they simply go to people and say, are you a Christian? Do you believe the Bible? Yes, I do. And then they include them in the pool. Now that would be fine if everyone was just the same, but it turns out that they're not. That it makes a radical difference whether or not somebody is engaged with God's people, somebody is seeking to live according to the word of God, and somebody who just says that they believe these things that make absolutely no difference in their life. It's not true that all of you have a 50% divorce rate. You do not. Why? Because you're here. Because you're placing yourself under the authority of God's word. And not just you're placing yourself under the authority of God's word, but because we're living in community to each other and we're opening up ourselves to be accountable. It's God's plan. The... Only reason you get such a high number um, is because those who claim to be Christians but actually don't attend church and don't attempt to live according to God's word have a much higher than 50% rate of divorce. There there actually is a religious group that has sky-high abuse numbers. There's a conservative religious group that has Abuse numbers right off the chart. I mean, I can tell you there was a recent, fairly recent study that showed if you live in the United Kingdom and you're a woman and you marry a member of this one particular religious group, you are 10 times more likely to be murdered by your spouse. Let me, I'm going to read, this might be weird, I'm going to read to you a verse from their text. This is not the Bible. Men are the protectors and maintainers of women because Allah has given one more than the other and because they support them from their means. Therefore, the righteous women are devoutly obedient and guard in absence what Allah would have them guard. In other words, they don't cheat on their husbands. As to those women on whose part you fear disloyalty and ill conduct Not, not just that they have disloyalty and ill conduct but you're afraid that they may have ill conduct admonish them, refuse to share their beds and beat them but if they return to obedience seek not against them means for Allah is most high and great what's the issue the issue is control control is a a very very dangerous thing for us because control if i'm if i have to control how somebody behaves i have to ratchet up the interventions until they behave and when you're talking about two adults that can go pretty bad and the truth is is that high control is actually bad leadership when i first became a teacher one of the best teachers at the middle school in ccs said Anytime I'm fighting the students, I have lost the game. You ever ever think about this? How do good teachers hold a classroom of teenagers? How how do they keep them going? They don't have the option to beat them? (laughs) What can they do? They love them. They give them purpose. They lead them. The students want to follow. If you have a teacher that nobody wants to follow, you know what happens? They lose their job. Because that's the goal. Good leadership people want to follow good leaders. That's how leaders lead. The Bible, if you, did you notice how this different than the Quran? All right, the Quran says, Quran doesn't even speak to women, doesn't, doesn't even, it, it doesn't even, uh, you know, Muhammad does, does not even gonna talk to women, just gonna talk to the men. Make sure your wives obey you. What does God say? He says, hey, wives submit to your husbands. And then he says, husbands, make sure you're, no. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. What does he do? God goes to women and says, here's your calling. Goes to men and says, here's your calling. And doesn't tell either one, never says, husbands, make sure your wives obey you really well. Doesn't say to women, make sure your husband really loves you like he should. I mean, the truth is, Men, you are, you're absolutely permitted to admonish your wives to obey you better as soon as you are loving your wife as Christ loved the church. You get to 100% and you can gently say something to your wife. The idea that simple authority breeds abuse is a lie. Plenty of people take authority as sacred responsibility and they pour out their... Plenty of managers go to bat for their employees. Plenty of teachers spend hours late at night Grading papers for their students and preparing. We have Sunday school teachers here. You have kids, and sometimes they're difficult, and yet you are constantly trying to reach their hearts. There, are, I saw I saw an article. Um, the title of the article is "You Probably Have a Pretty Good Pastor," and the. And the article is about all of the, you know, we read about these colossal failures of pastors. And they happen. There are pastors where there are colossal failures. Just like there are Christian, evangelical Christian husbands, where there are colossal failures, right? I mean, we're talking, we're sinful people. But the truth is, you probably have a pretty good pastor anywhere you go. Your pastor's probably pretty good. You probably have a pretty good husband. And you probably have a pretty good wife. Just like you probably have a pretty good Sunday school teacher. It's the way it is. So that's one idea. The second idea is, does this whole scheme mean that, you know, because you have authority, does it mean that men are worth more than women? I hear that, you know, with with male authority, women just aren't worth anything at least in the eyes of the church, in the eyes of the Bible. When I was um, early in my pastoral ministry, I had a young man, a young woman come to my church. They were really engaging, wonderful people, on again, off again in their relationship with one another, enjoyed both of them immensely. Um, I did not know that one day that young man would be part of hiring me to be a pastor at Covenant Presbyterian Church and be my boss. And you know what? He was a great and supportive church member and he is a wonderful boss. And there's nothing about the economy switching here that means any negative about either one of us. It doesn't mean that I was worth... Your pastor is not worth more than you. They're not another level of being. We're humans. And when Jake is my executive pastor and I'm an interim here, he didn't like move up above me in a level of being. We're simply functioning in an economy where he is in charge, and now I defer to him. Does that make sense? In philosophy, if you're, if you're a nerd, you want something cool to write down. In philosophy, we call this the distinction between ontology and economy. Ontology is, has to do with being, right? That in, in their being, is a man worth more than a woman? Is a woman worth more than a man? In economy, it's a question of roles. How does it all work together? He goes back, and I'm I'm, I'm afraid of how much in the sermon. He goes back to the Garden of Eden, and in the Garden of Eden, before the passage where he says the man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Before that, um. He creates Adam, and Adam by himself is not complete. The first thing that's not good in the garden is that Adam is alone. And so God is going to make for him, it says, a helper suitable for him or a help meet in the King James. And we struggle in English because of this word helper. Now, in Hebrew, the woman is going to be, here's your little, more nerd stuff. Azer Konegdo. My, my my Azer Konegdo. My suitable helper. Now, in English, a helper, is, it's a diminutive. Daddy's a little helper. Carpenter's helper. Plumber's helper, right? But do you know who God is? He's our ebon stone Azer of help. God calls himself our helper. See, in Hebrew, there's no connotation that the one who helps is less than the one who is being helped. Does that make sense? So the woman who's created out of a rib in the side of Adam is created to labor with him in this worshipful act of tending the garden meant to be his co-laborer is his helper, a suitable helper. And this word connecto means matching but not the same. It's something suitable to make it work together. The person who fits with Adam to complete for their task. A suitable helper. There's complementary. has gifts that Adam doesn't have. Adam has gifts that Eve doesn't have together. Now, the Bible says about women things that are mind-blowing for the ancient world because in chapter 1 it says in the image of God he created him male and female he created them stating plainly men and women are created in the image of God women are created in the image of God they're created to be Adam side by side helper in this act of worship and labor and they are not the same they're complementary Because God has an economy of the home. And so, from the beginning, God places man in the place of leadership and the woman is with him as a, in a way, a a co-reigner of creation. And it falls to pieces because the woman listens to the snake, the man listens to the woman, and neither of them listen to God. So that means... In God's plan, in the home, the husband is the leader and his wife is chief of staff. She leads the home by his side. She's not one of the kids. She's not one of the servants. In military terms, and I don't have time to flesh this out, but he's the CO and she's the XO, the, the commanding officer and the executive officer. And the executive officer is the one person who behind closed doors is supposed to tell, supposed to say, hey, Share out everything, lay it on the table, and then lead out and support the leadership. And the there's all kinds of ways this works itself out. No marriage is exactly the same. Don't look at somebody else's marriage and say that my marriage has to be exactly the same as yours because we're different people, different gifts. But, sorry, that's too loud, Um. But the way this works out, the Bible always casts the woman's role as something that's very active. A wife is not meant to be ornamental, her job is not to be pretty. Proverbs 31 what does the woman do? She works hard, she's buying and selling property her home is some kind of production factory and she's trading goods. She's so successful that she's providing for the poor and she's managing servants. And you think that's only the Old Testament, just some stray thing. It says in 1 Timothy 5, younger widows should marry in the Lord, have kids and manage their households. So it means, men, if you're discouraging your wives from using their gifts, if you're consumed by fear that if 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 she excels at something that, or you know she has a good idea, and guys, we all do this. My my wife gave me this tremendously, like a week ago. It's just I, I listened to this. It has to do with this talk. When did I listen to it? Yesterday. And I, I'm I'm listening to this talk between Nancy Piercy, a guy named John. Um, Anderson and I'm just transfixed. Like this is this is the greatest. This is what. Um, if you're not using your wife's, not taking your wife's gifts into account, encouraging them, leaders, just put it in another context. Leaders want the people on their team to grow in their gifts it's only a bad leader who's afraid of team members excelling and eclipsing them that's just fear has no place in a christian marriage oh. you know and there's there's a question like well you know what if i'm what if the wife has more capabilities in one area than her husband does then it means that the right people are married together because that is the purpose if your wife is not better than you in some areas, you've, you've married an unnecessary person. That's... I mean, seriously. That's... Um, and part of, part of your job as a wife is to help your husband lead well. Huh? Anytime we think about any leaders that we have... Our job as I mean, I did not get permission uh, to say this, but like as a, you know, when I first started out as a teacher, I realized that I knew how to like stand up and talk. I didn't know how to teach the whole thing, every bit of it. And so, you know, what happened? I had, I had students, one of them, Grace Morrison, Heather's older sister, who would help me teach well. She wanted me to succeed. She would tell me things. Hey, you know, this person, that person, if if we're supporting a leader, we want them to do well. And also, just as an aside, women, ladies, young women, when you are looking at men and thinking, is this the guy for me? You need to ask yourself, is this a leader I can follow? Is this someone whose leadership I can submit to? Is he, let me tell you. Everything else aside, a man who does not submit to other, to other men, does not submit to authority, is not a man you should be submitting to. Period. You look, ask yourself, does he have friends? Is he accountable to them? Is he actually accountable to the church? And when he goes to God's word and God's word goes against his desires, does he submit his desires to God's word? Or is he simply going to use God's word or ignore God's word and do whatever he wants? That's how you look for a leader. Now, Amen. Oh, I should also mention. The other other, um, call is to, says respect your husbands. The word is actually reverence. And it's true that respect can be earned, but in positions of authority, we give it. We cultivate it. Husbands, you have a far more... I don't know, in some ways, more difficult calling when you're choosing a wife, you're choosing a partner, you're choosing a co laborer in the kingdom, a woman who's going to have tremendous influence on your children. And what you are called to do is love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do you ever wonder? We never think about this. In the Bible, what did Jesus like? What was his favorite food, favorite color, what animals did he like? Do you know we have like no information about that? And it's not because it's an ancient biography. Because of all other ancient people, we have all kinds of information. Muhammad, we know that he liked honey, that he hated dogs and was terrified of Salamanders. We know all kinds of other things about his his likes and stuff like that I'm not going to go into. But why do we not have anything like that about Jesus? And the reason is not, I think that Jesus probably did have a favorite food. But the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Men, your calling is not to use your authority for your comfort if anyone does that. Pastor, elder, boss, husband, that is an evil thing to do. What are you called to do? You are called to pursue the spiritual growth of your family. You are called to pursue your wife's holiness That's, and how are you to do that? By the washing of water with the word. You are responsible, and you cannot do that if you do not know God's word. Men, if you are not a man of God's word, and I will tell you over and over again, studies in the church, women are like way more apt to study anything. Men tend to be doers, women, women, are great like studiers. And men, you cannot say, well, that's the way I am. No, you are required to know and understand God's word. It's the only way you can wash your family with God's word. And then you submit yourself to God's word. You give that example to your family and you bring them to a place where God's word is taught so that God's word will have its way with all of us. Your primary consideration is your wife and your family's spiritual growth. Paul describes it as nourishing and cherishing, which are just wonderful words to use. Because in nourishing, you're looking for things that actually do accomplish good. But I mean, the truth is that sometimes things that nourish are wonderful. Sometimes things that nourish are indifferent when we're experiencing them. Like you may eat broccoli, you're like, I can eat broccoli. I never say, wow, we went out to the broccoli factory last night. No. <laughs> okay. And then sometimes the things that, you, that are nourishing are a little difficult, hard to swallow, right? Which means, men, sometimes you have to do hard things. Sometimes you have to have difficult conversations, Sometimes you have to set boundaries. Sometimes you have to give up being liked. But you are also called to cherish. And it is impossible to cherish anyone without them knowing that they are being cherished because that is the definition of cherishing, that they know that they're being cherished. To be cherished is to have value reflected at you. You are a treasure to me. You are worth it. I, any, any sacrifice I make for something I cherish is not a sacrifice. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Had, had a friend. I, I went to school with him. Um, you know, I met him at a reunion. His reunions are so funny. They, these people, sometimes they're exactly what you expect, and then sometimes they're like, whoa. And like, I didn't, I hadn't really thought about it, but this, this my friend John, if I had thought about it, he was exactly the person that I would respect. So he, expect him to be. So he shows up with his wife and his teenage daughter. And he introduces, he's like, he'll introduce his wife and his kids. And then he'll turn and he says, she's my trophy wife. John, were were you married before? He goes, no, I just went straight for the trophy. (laughs) And his daughter's over there beaming because the guy just loved his family. Loved them. Absolutely in love with his wife. And they knew it. Now, let me ask you this. Kind of shift it to Christ, right? So, because this is all about Christ and his church. Marriage is meant to be an image, a reflection, a testimony to Christ and his church, which is a scary thing, but it's, a, it's an amazing thing. So, how do you know what something is worth? There's this, I mean, you know, people say, oh, this is worth more. Well, all right. How do you know what it's worth? You know what something is worth by what people are willing to pay. Okay? If you think your baseball card, you say it's worth $10,000, if nobody will pay you $10,000 for that baseball card, it is not worth $10,000. <sighs> what did Christ pay for you? What did he pay? He not only gave his life, he threw himself into the wrath of God. Everything. Now, Jesus is not just, if Jesus was just a perfect, loving man, that would be extraordinary. It would be wonderful. But he's not just a perfect, loving man. He's God in the flesh, the infinite, eternal, unchangeable God in the flesh, human being, Jesus Christ, gives his life for all of us. What is that payment? It's infinite. That I mean, and it sounds sounds like, boy, this does not sound actually reformed and evangelical. You have infinite worth. Because Christ pays an infinite price to purchase you. Jesus cherishes you. He loves you. And if you are here and you have not yet really received that, and I am under no illusions. I was talking with a uh, former Covenant Press member he grew up in the church. He came to Christ his senior year in high school. So there are those of you who made, and this is, Jesus is, gives his entire life for you so that you will be his. And then he nourishes you by his word, by his spirit, through his imperfect church, through his presence in your life, his providence, that he is with you and governing every bit of your life to bring you and keep you with himself. I mean, sometimes, I know sometimes it seems like, oh, why would God allow me to suffer? And because I'm just weak, you know, I I can think that at just the smallest things. Why am I having to go through this little bitty thing that shouldn't be a thing? But the truth is, because God loves me. Because God loves me. If if we didn't allow our kids to experience anything, if they didn't suffer at all, they don't grow. They don't grow into the kind of people that we want to see them be. Christ wants you to grow in knowledge of Him and holiness, and He washes you with His Word. It's always this way. That is why the ministry of the church is so important, not because the church is perfect, but because this is the place where the preaching of the word and the study of the word and the praying of the word and all of those things happen. This marriage relationship is meant to image and enact the relationship Christ has with the church. And it's not easy because your spouse is a sinner and so are you. And marriage itself is meant to teach and refine us. Nancy Piercy in this wonder, I I want to commend this to you. Nancy Piercy, John Anderson, find it on YouTube. Um, One of the things that came out in their many studies that have been done the happiest wives in the United States are evangelical Christians. It's not even close. The least happy wives are women who are married to religious unbelievers, people who say they're Christians but evidence no fruit, don't attend worship. So that's a terrible idea. Um, but you will, even with its imperfections, I want to tell you, and I've been married for a little while, you will experience deep satisfaction following God's plans and deep emptiness following your own. And the evil one always wants you to be miserable because he hates God and God treasures you but your deep, my deepest satisfaction, your deepest satisfaction is trusting God's plan, God's economy. Um, and if you ask yourself, is he trustworthy? Well, he gave his life for you. He submitted himself to the wrath of God on your behalf that you might have eternal life. So yeah. He's trustworthy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you uh, trembling before your word, wanting to be able to obey. So Father, we ask that you would give us the faith to trust you, that our trust would manifest in obedience, and we would know the joy of living in your plan. We pray this in the name of our King Jesus, trusting in the power of your Holy Spirit, that is, he works in us, believing your promises. In the name of Christ, amen.